you're not really using your secondary property or potentially Airbnb it, I think there might be an opportunity to get out while the market for those is still very hot. Everybody was buying secondary properties because they're getting cash out of their homes and money was cheap. But now there's going to be a drop off on that. I would make a shift on that quickly if I'm going to do it or try it. Additionally, I've been chatting with people who Airbnb a lot of their secondary properties and they said booking volume is way down. Interesting. Like 50% down. So I think that's kind huh. of an indication of people just don't have as much cash to be spending. One also, was, we're, we're comparing it to, to recent years where it's like, well, there's COVID, so you can't go down south. And everyone has a lot of money. So yeah, like it was a perfect no storm for the short-term rental game. If I were to take a, a contrarian point of view to that, it would be if there are leaner times ahead and you have a good position in your primary residence, i.e., mm -hmm. you know, you've got a, a low rate that's fixed in, it might be just a chance to be thankful for the position you're in and just enjoy that and 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 take a pause. So I'd be wary of 100%. selling something that that's in a, in a good good position, uh, even if it's like trying to be opportunistic or worried that oh my gosh, you know maybe I'm at the peak now. I might give back you know fifty thousand over the next eighteen months. It's like, sure, but if the alternative is you change your your living position and, and it's less uh, advantageous, then it might not make sense. When, 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 when I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. Oh, looking good, looking snazzy there, buddy. Cool racing hat there, bud. Yeah, you know why I wore the racing hat? Because you were just at the... Were you at the F1 in, in Montreal? I went to the F1 in Montreal. I didn't actually go to the race. I just went to qualifying. I was going to say, um, I didn't see you on the... And, yeah. Max Verstappen? Yeah, um, Is that, did I say that right? Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, man, two couple things. Like, first of all, if you haven't been and you're an F1 fan, like, you got to go. It's crazy. Like... Uh, in Montreal, you have to all come across this like bridge to get on the island where the track is. Yeah. And just as you're like coming up, there's like a straight stretch of the track right that abuts the main entrance. And so there's just like, boom. Like, yeah. I don't know explain how fast they are. Like, it's not like it's like going by. It's like, yeah, yeah. That's like, you crazy. Can just, you can't even begin to see them. Like, it's it's craziness. Um, this is actually like, we just should a do. A, you on the grounds. We should do a plug here. What's Go the ahead. what's the BNV show? Uh, F1 Casuals? Yeah, there's another podcast here if you guys are in F1. Um, oh, yeah. Really, but yeah, true. Boys are on there. Yeah, I remember like they had some sort of race here in Halifax years and years ago when I was a little kid. Um, and it was kind of cool because well, they ripped down by like the Willow Tree in the Commons. Um, yeah, and I remember I was on like Citadel Hill or, or, or the Wanderers. I can't remember where I was as a little kid watching it. Um, but we were at like a turn where it was kind of slow or whatever. My dad was in so, a pit crew once too. That's neat. I, I that would be super cool. Um, anyways, it was unbelievable pulling up. I don't actually really follow it that much. Um, but the other thing that was a little crazy is so we went to qualifying. It's piss pouring rain. Mm. You're just sitting there in your ponchos. Everyone's sitting there in their ponchos, and it's just downpouring. Um, but the crazy part to me was if you guys have been to Montreal, the whole track is like a hundred thousand people funnel out through like one exit. And then they have to get onto a subway line. Like everybody gets onto the same subway line. Sounds terrible. So you literally spend like two hours just grinding your way through the mud up to this hot, steamy subway line. And then they just jam you in. Like it's, I don't know how that hasn't been, they haven't come up with a better solution for that yet. But other than that, it was amazing. I recommend it now. I want to go to a bunch of races. Like it's just a, it's a cool experience. I, if yeah, I think one of our... Listens, one of our right. colleagues, she went to uh, the Monaco Grand Prix, I think. Madison. Oh, shout out. Yeah, yeah. That's badass. Um, yeah, super cool. Hey, 
Yeah, I mean, this is the uh, Master Pod- Master Keys Podcast. Chandler, Neil, thanks as always for listening, guys. We talk about real estate, wealth creation, all the cool stuff, anything that's going on in the world that we think is relevant to what may be going on in your world. So appreciate your support. I mean, if you get anything of value. Uh, yeah. Cool guy with his race race hat there. Um, yeah. Listen, I, I have a question for you. Speaking of Montreal, someone on my, yeah. my Instagram um, just did, you know, the big public announcement. I'm leaving this town. I'm leaving this town. And one of the reasons cited was affordability and, and going to Montreal because, oh, Montreal's way more affordable. It yeah. got me thinking because we talked about this and, and people have asked me, like, what's going to slow down the, the rental rates? Like, what's going to slow down pricing? And I've theorized, well, if we have this mass exodus like we had in, say, the early 2000s where all the young people were leaving Halifax, Nova Scotia, and going elsewhere for job opportunities, mm-hmm. if we have mm-hmm. that again that would be the sort of mm-hmm. thing that could could really jam our, our market, like slow it right down and, and curb rental mm-hmm. increases. Have you seen people starting to leave the province again by any chance? Or is it still early um, for that? No, I very much have seen people leave the province. Um, Already? Okay. Interesting. There's a, there, like We talked about this before, I think, a little bit, but there is a huge population that moved here from the other provinces, mm-hmm. predominantly Ontario, because Toronto was probably the worst hit by COVID, which makes sense due to the density. Um, but a ton of people are like, I'm done with this shit. Like, I don't want to be locked down in my apartment or my condo or uh, in a city that doesn't care and all those things. So a ton of people came out here and they're like, I'm working from home. So I'm working from home forever. So I'm good to go. And then a lot of companies turned that back. Um, and I think a lot of people started to see there's a mixture of like people came out and like, whoa, this is a much different lifestyle than I expected. I fantasize about this or I enjoyed it in the summer times, but I don't want to live here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was jobs that were like, yeah, we now need you back in the office. Or a lot of people are cost cutting right now. And where are they going to start cost cutting? Are they going to look at the people that are still in Toronto coming to the office every day? Or are they going to look at Joe who moved to Halifax and chill mm-hmm. on a boat all day as their first cut, right? So I think a lot of people started kind of panicking and moving back. Um, and so I, I think you do see that. And then we talked about how Alberta, Alberta is running aggressive ad campaigns. The oil and gas industry is doing well. So you've seen people move to Alberta simply, again, just on an affordability basis because it's more affordable there to live, lower taxes and income. There's yep. also a ton of people that are doing the two weeks on, two weeks off. But I think more and more people are now being like, well, the house average house price in Atlantic Canada is almost the same as Alberta. Yep. So why am I doing this back and forth? And I rent's higher. Rent's my, definitely higher. Rent's higher. I yep. can just move my ship over here and not have to worry about that. Um, so, yeah, I think there is a huge change uh in direction i had it another one showing the stats yet but. yeah I, I had another one who's a, an investor uh from ontario young guy came out here was doing some small scale development stuff um doing some development flip plays and, and all of these things and i can tell he's he's now like you know what i'm getting rid of my stuff here i'm going back to ontario because it's bullshit out here everything's so expensive <laughs> um you know it's so expensive to do anything uh and yet then when it comes time to you know, the rubber to hit the road, there's maybe not as much money actually around at the same time. And he's very frustrated by the opportunities here or lack thereof. And as a young person who's not connected or committed to this area, he's just going to turn right back around and, and leave. Uh, he's just kind of tying yeah. up loose ends here. So it's interesting to see that. And, and when you mentioned Montreal and I thought about this person on my feed and, and all that, I, I was curious to see if you'd, you'd seen that. But um, that's not what we're yeah. talking about today. What are we going to dive into today? Uh, no, today we want to talk about what, what we think you should be buying, what you should be holding, and what you should be selling. And kind of just based on what we're seeing in the market, 
where everything's what's going on. And I think a lot of people, I would like to think a lot of you guys are going to be interested in this because it's such a weird time. And again, it's one thing to be a home buyer. It's another thing to be an investor where you're trying to make your money be active. And I know for myself, whenever I have a refi come in or I have cash, whatever it may be, I'm like dying. I'm like, I have to, I have to have something under contract. I have to be mm. closing. Yeah. Like <laughs> I couldn't fathom having just like excess cash in my account. I, I must spend this on something so that I'm in an uncomfortable position yeah. again <laughs> of having no money where I need to keep working. Um, and so I have a couple here written down. Maybe I'll throw things at you yeah. um, and kind of get your, get your take on what, what you think. Um, where do you want to start? Buy, hold, or sell? Start with buy, our favorite. Okay. We're going to start with what to buy because I think that's also probably one of the hardest ones to make a guesstimate on right now, uh, simply because where the hell is the market going? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to give you everything that I have and what, what, what my thought was, mm-hmm. and then maybe we'll get you to break them down one by one. But first, I said buy development land. And the reason I say buy development land for two main reasons, I think that there are a lot of opportunities coming to play because even you see large, large companies, big developers, Unloaded. they're selling mm-hmm. off parcels that they don't necessarily see being built for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and because they need cash because a ton of people are in projects right now and where rates have run, they're like, oh shit, the bank's like, we need to come up, you need to come up with $2 million, $5 million to finish this project. And so they can't always just be taking these massive hits on their book and they don't necessarily always have that cash available. And so development land, you'll start to see, I think a lot more of it being listed. And I think there will be opportunities available. Additionally, I've talked about this in other pods and, and listening to everything that's going on. I do think in the years to come, there's going to be incentives around construction there's going to have to be in my opinion which i think ultimately will then push up the land values yeah um and like for hyper local to atlantic canada as we're at this like weird turning point where condos are starting to become relevant uh and i think if that can sustain it'll really drive land values up uh, because the condo market can push up the per door value immensely on the end at the very end of the build uh, and then really if the per door value goes from 500 to 800 of that 300 probably 60 or 70% of that will get boiled into the land. Mm-hmm. And, and you see that in Ontario and BC land pricing. So gotcha. number one, I said, buy development land. Again, assuming it's a good deal. It doesn't mean just buy everything willy-nilly. It's got to be the right deal. It's got to make sense. And it has to be financially sound for you. And when you're buying land, you need to understand that you can't get the leverage on it that you're probably expecting. Max 50% with a plan to build. Uh, and additionally, you've got to be able to cash flow it. Uh, there is going to be costs associated with vacant land insurance, property taxes, and if you're taking cash from something else, like it, it's something you have to consider. Um, the second one is commercial real estate. And I say that as a whole kind of a blanket because there are portions that I don't necessarily think are worth buying. Like obviously everyone's comparing what office and retail uh, being a bad, bad place to invest. But I do think there are, if the way to look at it, in my opinion, is you look at the commercial industries that are poised to do well, even when the economy is slowed. Um, and try and invest in commercial properties that are leased to those companies where they will be able to sustain through this entire wave. And that means like if you have things that are anchored by drugstores, um, insurance companies, like those, the businesses that ultimately end up doing well during these periods, those are, are the investments that you want to make in the commercial world. Additionally, this is something that's always done well in the past, but I'm not, I'm not as sold simply because it has done well in the past and feels like everybody's leaning this way, is storage. Yeah. Um, I think you need to, to analyze the market. I do think storage seems to be a really great play. Um, it runs at high caps, low loan to value. So if you can get into it, 
usually you're not extremely exposed. Um, and on average, when people are downsizing from homes or there's a lot of movement going around, um, storage lockers tend to become a lot more uh, relevant. I just have some nervousness where 2008 storage did super well. And so now literally every single uh, person seems to be starting some sort of storage business. You see it online. So I'm not sure if we're going to fill that demand really, really quickly. Yeah. The last one I want to add in there is single families. And that means single family homes, very location dependent. Um, and the reason I say that is I'm seeing in, in our market here, um, the great locations, I think are going to continue to do really well. Um, just kind of what we've alluded to another other times, like the rates, people are, are seeming to be able to handle them in a lot of ways. And there is a market of people that will still want to buy in the great locations. So if you see an opportunity on a single family that's getting overlooked, that's worth buying. I don't think mm -hmm. every single family is necessarily the best buy. I do think uh, there's a lot of overvalued marketplaces um, and I would say mid to average range neighborhoods. I'm not as stoked on them, but I do think if you're in a location that's difficult to get into and there's a deal to be had, that is, a, is still a, a decent buy. But I'm down yeah. I'm on the fence a little bit because I do think there's going to be some downward pressure here in the next couple of years. Well, so those are my buys. Okay. That's my take on yeah. buying right now. I, I mean, but that... I will say amazing deals as a whole, always, always, yeah. that's always the case. Like if someone comes to you with a multi-unit that's just like way too cheap to be good, you should be buying it. Like if, if the res if, if rental plate, if residential oh, rental totally. makes sense, and, and uh, I, it's a great deal. Like great deals always are great deals. And I think there there could be some great deals coming up in this uh, in this environment in, in the next year or so. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'll be more general with, with my commentary because I like what you said there. I would say... Buy what you know. We talked about this on a previous episode. I would be buying what I really understand and really know. I don't think this is a great time to change lanes, uh, to try to get cute, uh, to try to get exploratory. I think it's a good time to be a bit conservative, and one of the more conservative things you can do is just do what you do well. Continue to do that. So I would buy based on what you have a high level of experience and comfort with. The other thing... I would look at strongly is buy based on cash. And what I mean by that is buy plays that you'll have a really good cash position either on the purchase itself, like where you have high equity from day one because you're able to put a lot of cash down or a situation where the you know cash on cash return is immediately good from day one or you know there is a cash coming back to you in some form and, and I mean at a, at a high level of comfort on a end value refi position, right? I think you just need to feel really good about your cash positioning in the property month to month and in a, in a finite timeline at the end. I think that's huge right now because cash and liquidity are going to be big, not only for taking advantage of these opportunities that we do think are coming, but also just to protect yourself to weather the storm until those opportunities come around and until you can get positive on all these things. So that would be my buying take. What about, uh, okay. do you, Oh, you want to go straight to hold? Let's go sell. sell. Let's go sell. Yeah, let's go sell. Okay. Well, I'll start then on the selling side. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to focus on single families to begin with, because I'm in this weird, um, back and forth in my head where I think, again, on the buy side, single families make sense. <laughs> but on the sell side, location. it makes sense too. Classic realtor. Great time to sell, great time yeah. to buy. What you a realtor. You should basically <laughs> always be doing, you should always be doing transactions um, with us. No, but 
so no, seriously, like, I, I want to really hone in on that. So buying single families, it's nuanced. Like, it's got to be great locations. Yeah. I'm seeing, again, for the Halifax market, I'm seeing, like, houses now in North End. There's, there's people, there's multiple homes now over $2 million. And I do suspect that that neighborhood's going to get to that place where you see a ton of rehabbed homes that are seven figures. Yeah. Um, and Next so year. if there's opportunities to buy there, I don't think that those will get any better. Like I see houses, oh, little, yeah. little, little houses popping up around 500 grand. And I'm like, you may never get to get in here again because the second one of these $2 million houses sells that piece of land that it sits on is immediately worth five to $800,000. So you're now getting in for no, less than hey, that. Not to put you on the hot five. seat, but you and I are working on a lot land deal in honestly, easily one of the best locations in the city. And it's a phenomenal opportunity for your buyers uh, to, to execute on. I know we can't talk about that too much uh, on air, but that's the sort of yeah. location that, oh my God, you know, it, it's, there, there's, there's a really big swing right now in the city because there's so many things trading for north of a million dollars now. And yet there's still this availability of homes and opportunities between 650 and 850, which tend to be um, the, the most hardest hit section of the market here locally. And I'm looking at like, oh my God, you could take these six fifty to eight hundred thousand dollar homes, and you could spend three fifty on them. And honestly, you've got a one point five million dollar home there, like that because routinely homes are selling for one point five million dollars. And in fact, there's even a shortage of homes at one point five million. There's a bunch that are kind of like around one point one, one point two. You're like, yeah, that's okay. And there's a bunch of two million. Like if you had a phenomenal home right now in the right location, in Halifax for one point five million dollars. People would gobble it up. Anyway, we're getting we're, we're getting sidetracked here. What are you selling? Let's focus on Back what. To selling. So yeah. on, on focusing on the single family side first, I think you need to be able to look at your market and be like, hey, am I in an overinflated marketplace that did really well because the market was exploding? And, and to me, a play, I, those are I think kind of suburban sprawl neighborhoods that sit on the outskirts of whatever city you're in. I think a lot of those neighborhoods were trading at super high valuations and they came up really really fast. Like people were buying them. Let's say a brand new build for six, seven hundred thousand dollars, then they're worth one point two. Those marketplaces, for two reasons to me, first of all, location isn't necessarily amazing. It's good, and like they're not bad neighborhoods, but when you look at the differential between kind of what they're up against, I think there's an opportunity to maybe downsize or move closer into town. I think again, being closer is important. So I think those neighborhoods are slightly overvalued because of that or slightly inflated because of that uh, during like the COVID times. Additionally, I think they're inflated because those neighborhoods I find are usually a two working individuals buying a home. Mm-hmm. And so you would look at it where two people with decent jobs were getting qualified at super low rates, which allowed those yeah. prices to get super inflated. Now the same buyer that's going to buy that house is that same person. It's likely going to be two employed individuals. They're not going to get qualified. They're just not the rates, the rates up 400 points. They're going to get qualified for a lot less. And so I think it's going to put downward pressure on a lot of those neighborhoods. So on the single family side, I think if you're considering like, Hey, I want to move into town or I want to change where I'm at. I think those kind of overinflated neighborhoods, the ones that saw these massive, massive gains, I think are something to consider potentially if you, if you have the op- option of, of getting out of, um, and I, I might be wrong, like those might continue to run, but to me, I just can't see it when there's, there's options throughout town. And as there's downward pressure across the board, there's going to be deals popping up in places that are going to suck the buyers out from the out, outskirts and they're going to bring them inwards because there's going to be deals within the inner core. So that that's my residential mm-hmm. one. The second portion of that is secondary properties. Um, if you're not really using your secondary property or potentially Airbnb it, 
I think there might be an opportunity to get out while the market for those is still very hot. Not very hot, but I'd still say decently hot. They went ballistic. Everybody was buying secondary properties because they're getting cash out of their homes and money was cheap. So they did very, very well. But now there's going to be a drop off on that. That's going to be one of the first ones to drop off. And so to me, it's like I would make a shift on that quickly if I'm going to do it or try it. Uh, additionally, I've been chatting with people who Airbnb a lot of their secondary properties, and they said booking volume is way down, way down, Interesting. like 50% down. Really? Um, and so I think that's kind huh. of an indication of people just don't have as much cash to be spending, right? Like, and okay. and the market was just all roses. So everyone. Well, also, we're, everyone also was, we're we're comparing it to to recent years where it's like, well, there's COVID, so you can't go down south, and everyone has a lot of money. So yeah, like, it was a perfect no storm for the short-term rental game. Like, it was a Perfect scenario if you had a short-term rental over the last couple of years, yeah. Yeah, so that might change as time goes on here, but to me, I don't know Don't know that it is. I think, like you said, it's, it's no longer COVID. There's no rules when you're in town, uh, and there's opportunities to travel other places in the world. But I think as a whole, the travel industry is going to slow. Right? People are looking for cheaper alternatives. Cruise are doing really, cruises are doing really well because they're a much cheaper alternative, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so that same mindset, I think if you have a secondary property that you're like on the fence about, this might be an opportunity to get out of it while you can still make some money because I think I think that market's going to slow heavily uh, in the next couple of years. Um, I'll speak, you know, from the selling perspective. I think if I were to take a, a contrarian point of view to that, it would be if there are leaner times ahead, and you have a good position in your primary residence, i.e., mm-hmm. you know, you've got a, a low rate that's fixed in, you've got some captured appreciation there. It might be just a chance to like, be thankful for the position you're in and just enjoy that and, and, and take a pause. So I'd be wary of 100%. selling something that, that's in a, in a good, good position, uh, even if it's like trying to be opportunistic or worried that, oh, my gosh, you know, maybe I'm at the peak now. I might give back you know, 50000 over the next 18 months. It's like, sure, but if the alternative is you change your, your living position and, and it's less oh. advantageous, it might not make sense. Um, I'm saying this more from an investment perspective. Yeah. I don't mean at all to be taking your personal home and selling it and then renting for a year in the assumption that you're going to get back in at a cheaper price point. Yeah. I think that's, that's just a bad game to play. It's the same thing when you're investing in stocks. Don't try and time the tops and the bottoms. Like It's the same thing with housing. I don't think that's the play. But I do think if you're an investor or you have multiple properties um, or you're on the, you're already like 90% of the way to being like, I kind of want out of this neighborhood or I kind of want to live somewhere else or whatever it may be, I think you can make there's a potential for an option to, to make the switch. Yeah. Um, and to what you said with losing the gains, that's 100% right. Like people need to change that mindset because your house was worth 600 last year, two years ago, and now it's worth 900. So to go back to 800 or 850, really none of it was realized, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. it's like it's still way ahead of where it was before. So don't don't be upset by that. I don't think. Yeah. Um, in in so, terms of in terms yeah. of what to sell, like I know that I mean I'm preparing a property for sale currently. And I've got a few clients who are looking at their overall portfolio. I mean, like, well, gosh, you know, and, and I have this situation, like, you know, I've got 12 units, I've got 15 units, I've got sixes, I've got eights, I've got an 18, like I've got stuff. But then I also have the duplex, the house, the this little thing, the that little thing. And it is sort of looking at, well, those properties have a fair bit of maintenance. Um, they take, you know, time and attention. And they're not really serving the overall portfolio well at all right now. In fact, a lot of cases, if they're on variable, they're underwater. Um, and they, if they're in good locations and if they still 
satisfy potentially like an owner-occupied situation where uh, an owner-occupied buyer is still willing to pay top of the market, maybe those are an opportunistic sale as well. Because you can't flip these small multi-unit products to investors right now because the numbers don't make sense. Right? Like you can't sell a duplex. Or it's even hard to sell a triplex to an investor right now because chances are the numbers don't make sense. Right? It, it's hard. Yeah. Uh, but owner-occupied, they start to make sense yeah. again. Um, so if you have something like that that is sort of dragging your portfolio down a little bit, it's a good time to sell because the demand for that, the pricing for that is still really good. Um, and you can kind of capture that while at the same time improving the overall performance of your portfolio. So take for an example, something in your portfolio that right now might be losing $800 a month, right? Um, if you could sell that, like how, how much, what would you have to do to go out and add $800 a month to your portfolio? You know, you would have to probably go out and buy something like a well-performing six-unit building where you profit $150 a unit per month. Like, it'd be hard to go out there and replicate $800 of net profit um, on, on a property purchase right now. So if you take a property that's losing you $800 a month and can just take that off your books while at the same time potentially bringing in a couple hundred thousand dollars of liquidity you know, captured equity from the sale of that property, that may not be a bad uh, option right now. And if the market was softer and you couldn't get full value for that property, I'd probably try to ride it out. Um, you know, if if it is currently, you know, doing well and, and making money, I'd also think it's worthwhile riding that out. But if you have something, and I know a lot of investors out there do, uh, it might be a good time to, to part with those smaller things that were good at the time, but aren't where you're at now. I've got another client... I mean, he's got everything from single-family homes to 30-unit, but like it, it's a, it's a mixed bag, and you know he's looking at his overall positioning and says, "Well, gosh, I could sell something over here, take three hundred thousand dollars, and be rid of a, a, you know, a property that's maybe breaking even. So it's not bad; it's breaking even, but it frees up three hundred thousand dollars. One, there's a lot of great things I can do with that three hundred thousand dollars, but I can also just shift it right over to another property I have, and profit, you know." probably return like what would the interest savings be on three hundred thousand dollars right now eighteen hundred bucks a month right yeah, yeah, so so yeah. you get rid of a liability which is the the, the debt and you increase your profit by eighteen hundred dollars a month like that's yeah. not too bad right no. you're, you're taking on less liability you're bringing in more money isn't that kind of what this is all about so again you can only do that with certain properties it has to be stuff that still appeals to the, i think the owner occupied but like buyer sentiment market um yeah and it only makes sense to do it if it's an underperforming asset or you can take that equity and move it to make another property better performing and this kind of transitions us over into the whole department no not yet i want to go back to that for a sec so the to to your point i think the the, the mindset i think that's worth considering is capital appreciation i mean capital appreciation is going mm -hmm. to be reduced right like i think we can all agree that we if you're if you're expecting a ton of price lift, yeah, it might not be worth holding on to it. And so, to what you're saying, because you're thinking you're, you're not going to see that as much in the future. No, and it doesn't yeah. make sense that you would for the next little while. I think yeah. capital appreciation is being reduced. So if you own property that you only make money on capital appreciation, it's not making those monthlies. It might be a worthwhile consideration to flip it off. Another big segment that we're not thinking about because we don't see it as much locally to us, but it's condos, 
right? Like we've talked about how 80% of condos in Toronto, the owners investment condos in Toronto run the negative. And yeah. basically yeah. they're all okay doing that because they're expecting some sort of capital appreciation. Yeah. But now when you have interest rate pressure yep. and there's actual inventory on the market, you're not going to see that. Right. So it might be prudent if you can to make a shift in advance, take out your cash, like you're saying, remove that negative balance on a monthly basis and get rid of that interest cost and then allocate that money to go somewhere else or to prep yourself towards buying a better deal in the years to come. Yeah. Right. And so I, yeah. I think that's my last thing on the residential side. I think condos are something that is heavily predicated on capital appreciation. And basically the biggest fighter of that is interest rates. And we are in a high interest rate market relative to where we were with very high debt ratios. So last thing on residential, I would definitely consider selling condos uh, if it's not something that's like you'll never get again or something that you really, really need in your life. Um, on the commercial side, for selling, I mean, everyone's office is the big, everyone's screaming at sell your office, sell your office. It's hard to say. I mean, if you can float it, I mean, that's great. But I think a lot of people are selling their office because there's not an option to float it and making residential conversions is super, super expensive. Uh, so I think we'll see it here as a good portion of commercial debt matures in the next two years in Canada and the U.S. You'll see a lot of office space come up. Additionally, retail to me seems concerning. Uh, mm. Just when you think if the economy is slowed, people are going to spend less money. There's going to be a lot of stores if they're small that might go out of business or reduce their footprint. Um, and there's like the online shift that really did take over. I think that's going like, to continue, especially now, as you see, there's more tech going towards online shopping, like this AR headset from Apple, like that's going to, those are going to change the market and continue to put pressure towards online shopping and less in-person shopping. Uh, so to me, retail, unless it's anchored by, um, certain types of, of stores, it, it doesn't make a ton of sense. Even groceries now, like most of the largest grocery chains have putting in a ton of work into automating and just shipping all your groceries to your house. Right. And I think that's going to start to make more and more sense. So mm -hmm. to me, selling residential property that is not in a great location, potentially overinflated, or you're banking on capital appreciation is a good time. Like Chandler mentioned, if it's not making money for you on a monthly basis and doesn't really have a greater play, there might be an option to get it sold out and someone else who's owner-occupied and can get their hands dirty in that in that property it makes a lot more sense. Don't be afraid to be like, well, I'm going to sell it for 500 and it's going to be worth seven once I get in there and do all this stuff. And you're like, yeah, well, you, you're, there's always going to be someone that's going to make a bit of money off it. Like you need to look at where you're at and see if it, it aligns with your goals. Um, but anyways, moving into the hold market. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of funny. On every single line, I have single families with a question mark. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. And it's a question mark asterisk. This guy. Well, I touched, no, I, I touched on that a little bit because I think the yeah. whole mentality with the single family stuff is, my gosh, don't rock the boat. Like, if you think you're potentially compromised, you know, don't rock the boat, All right? Ride it yeah. out. And if you love a neighborhood yeah. and, like, there's, there's a bunch of asterisks to that that's, like, it, it's very specific. And exactly, ride it out. Things go up and down at the end of the day. If you're in a comfortable position, you can float your mortgage um, and you don't see yourself being able to get back into that neighborhood. Additionally, really good neighborhoods are really not going to get that negatively impacted. No. Like there's a lot of people who are putting a lot of big down payments in, in good neighborhoods and that'll just hold on to it because they know it's a good neighborhood. So just consider that if you're in a good location and somewhere you want to be for an extended period of time, selling right now, there might be a chance there's an opportunity, but there's also a strong chance that there may never be another good opportunity mm -hmm. to get in. Um, residential rentals. So res rentals, I think, are worth holding on to right now, assuming that you're able to get them in a decent mortgage setup where you can cash flow and you can kind of keep making your um, annual increases. Also projecting out the upcoming maintenance, right? So you need to take a building, but like, hey, let me look at this next 20 years. 
these are the like okay, in 10 years i have a roof in six years i have a furnace go through all those and actually make sense and bring bring it all back and see okay hold up am i actually gonna make any money once i pay for all of those things and assume limited capital appreciation and the reason i say that is not just because interest rates it's because rent caps across the board in canada at the end of the day once the rent caps go in residential rentals the only other time you're going to see actual capital appreciation is if the land underneath it is zoned or allows you to build something way more. Otherwise, when you're looking at a 10-unit building, if it's sitting on a lot that probably got downzoned, like there's a lot of that where you see buildings that get built in areas that ultimately got downzoned, and it's only ever going to be a 10-unit, if it gets torn down, it's going to turn into a fourplex. you got to project all of your numbers and see that it actually makes sense and assume rates that are probably similar to now. Maybe a little bit less, but assume an average rate of maybe 4 or 5%. Um, and, and run your numbers. And if, if that works well and you see nice uh, income coming from that and an opportunity to get a little bit of appreciation over time that, that you force through the rent increases, I think those are worth holding on to. Back to what Chandler said, if you're not making money or there isn't really a play there, it might be worth looking at offloading that and giving it to someone who's more interesting in their hands dirty or is making an investment for an, an alternative reason, maybe they own property around it or they see something that you don't. Uh, I, I think... That one's good. And then warehousing. I'm going to mention on the commercial side. I think warehousing is a worthwhile hold. Um, the industrial industries in Canada are doing very well. And I think they're going to continue to do very well with the amount of construction taking place and that the amount that's, that's still going to come. Yes, we're talking about slowdowns in certain cities. And so I don't know, maybe not buy warehousing in, in overinflated markets, that same concept. But as a whole, I think the warehousing market will do well simply where everything goes online. Uh, it's the same idea as storage. There's a lot of there's a lot of new businesses that are constantly evolving that need that space. And I think just when you see population growth, with that comes a requirement for space to run businesses and to store stuff. And so I think warehousing is a, a good place. And I think a lot of the people that go out of the retail spaces, like a lot of their businesses are actually taking on more warehousing space at the same time. Right. Um, so that's I think those are kind of my my whole things. Yeah, uh, I'll just focus on the multi unit stuff because by contrast to the small scale underperforming things that appeal to, you know, owner occupied situations, I think it, it's a opportunistic time to look at selling those. I think the true like purpose built multi-unit commercial, i.e. six units and above, that's the stuff that you want to hold onto. Like those are the anchors of a portfolio, assuming you've done a halfway decent job of getting them run properly. Those are, are the core assets, right? Like if you're looking at what you're aiming to do, what you're trying to do, building your little piece of the pie, isn't that kind of what we all want? It is like true purpose-built multi-units because your exposure is actually far less than the small, janky one and two units and three units. You know, purpose-built larger things are, are so much easier to manage. Um, they're so much easier to get, you know, meaningful rent increases because you've got more units. So even a small percent, when you multiply it across, say, 10 units, it's much more impactful. I think those are obviously the things that you want to hold on to. Yep. Yep. Agreed. I, I, yeah, I think in the summarize I talked about before, but like capital appreciation might be limited. So if your property is banking on that, then that's something I think worth considering uh, maybe making a change. Or if there isn't a long-term play out of the land, it, it's something that you should really consider. Um, and it might serve someone else better who's just trying to get into the market and is willing to make the stepping stones. Like, you know, when you start, um, you shouldn't be afraid to get in some uglier properties or not ideal properties because sometimes they serve a purpose to allow you to make a step forward. Um, but as you've built a base and you continue to invest, it becomes a lot more important that you're prudent with what you're buying 
um, because it needs to it needs to meet what your end goal is or whatever you want to be running with your with your portfolio. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, also, I'm going to say the reason I didn't say buy warehousing is because I think it's been on a run for a while, and I don't know how much further the well, and you won't be able to find it anyway, so it's a moot point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but hopefully you're not going to be able to find it. Even I've heard Ontario is pretty much the same, but as a whole, I don't know how much further uh, it has to go. The other thing um, in general is it's green space and land. I forgot to add that to buying. I put development land, uh, but if you have a ton of cash and you want to buy agricultural land, I think that's a smart play for a bunch of reasons. Um, we obviously have a ton of food insecurity and issues there, but I also think that there's going to be... Um, a lot of value that goes into agricultural land around the carbon credit space. Um, and so I just think that's a long, that's a whole nother topic. That's a long but, hold. That's a, and, and a lot of risk exposure because there wouldn't yeah, be a lot of revenue it, on that, at least in the short term. Well, if you have cash, that's again, if you yeah. have a lot of cash and I think that's what you're seeing, like the, the richest in the world, that's what they're buying. A ton mm-hmm. of land. People, yeah. once they're having a ton of cash around, they buy a ton of land. I think it's an aspect of like, where can you put your cash? Um, they make a very slow return on it on a cash flow basis, but they're paying cash for the land. Um, but I think you're, you're banking on some high potential appreciation because I think food prices will continue to increase. I also think carbon credit values are going to increase a lot, which there is going to be some major offsets from farmland that I think will ultimately result in farmland having a massive run up. Probably, I don't know how soon it could be 2025, but I think it'll probably be 2030. But uh, again, that's, that's for a whole different market. Um, so cool. Buy good properties, effectively. <laughs> Buy amazing deals and well-located properties. Um, and you, I think there will be blood in the water in the next couple of years, so keep an eye out for those. Hold on to your properties that are in good locations. Um, have good baseline numbers and, and are in demand right now. I think selling properties that potentially were really, really hot in the last couple of years, maybe got a bit overinflated, like secondary properties outside of town if they're not on coveted lakes or whatever it may be. So it's a great time to get rid of them. Houses within the city that are in areas that exploded during COVID, but maybe still have some of the issues that they had prior to their build-outs. Um, office space, if you have it. Retail, if you have it, I think it's a good time. Not a great good time to offload it, but it might be potentially. I don't think it's going to be any better for a couple of years. So if you need to get rid of it or if it's dragging you down, yeah. get rid of it. If um, it's improving your overall portfolio, if it's addition by subtraction kind of deal. Yeah. yeah. And if you're buying storage, I mean, I... I'd be curious to see how it goes. I'm, I'm super interested to see if storage ends up being what everyone expected just again, because it's like, seems like the thing from 2008. So everybody's doing it right now, but that, maybe that's just how I feel with my social media following. Yeah. Yeah. I know. hundred percent. Sure yeah. yeah. Some of you guys follow investor go Brit and she's storage, storage, storage. Mm. Interesting. Cool. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening as always, guys, if you found something of value here, please share it, repost it, comment below. Um, thanks. Thanks so much for watching the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, press like. Don't forget to subscribe. But also check us out on Instagram and TikTok. You can find all the links below. Thanks again for checking us out. Broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh.